Welcome, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Intentionally Inclusive. This is your host, Ashley George, and I am so grateful for your time today. I know no one asked, but I'm feeling more paychecks proud than usual as I sit next to our very special guest. And so I ask you to hold your virtual applause as I introduce Paychex's first ever Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Employee Experience, Maggie Rivera. Thank you. It's exciting to be here, Ashley. I'm looking forward to uh, doing my very first podcast with you. Yeah, I know. This is very exciting stuff, and and we're so happy to have you join us here today. Uh, So as we know, when we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, we target the personal. A lot of this work is very personal, and I know that I am not the only person itching to learn a little bit more about you and your person. Um, And so, Maggie, I've heard that you've had very unique challenges growing up. Uh, Would you mind sharing a bit about your story and how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. So um, I guess I'll start where we came from. So my family's from Utuado, Puerto Rico, and I was actually the second generation that was born here stateside. So my mother was youngest of 12 and the only one that was born uh, in the United States in Ohio versus right being a U.S. citizen in Puerto Rico. Wow. So uh, growing up, we actually grew up pretty rocky. We were very poor. Um, I had a stepdad who was in Vietnam War, and he came back pretty messed up, and he really struggled with alcoholism and PTSD. And because of that, he he couldn't hold a job. He was always in trouble, and that led to me being chronically homeless as a child. So for wow. six years, uh, in and out of shelters, and these were not fun places, girl. These yeah. were not fun. Yeah. Literally, I will never forget I'm watching molds just creeping up the walls and cockroaches would swarm everywhere where feces and vomit literally plagued their communal toilets. And there was sexual predators around everywhere and we'd have to stand guard. All those kids had to stand guard as their parents took showers. And that was every day. And our outings consisted of going to the grocery store and I remember my mom would distract the stock boy and I would steal some fruit. And that's how we'd eat. And if we didn't get into the shelter in time or if it was full, we had to go to a park and try to find a place to pitch our tent that night where the police or no one would mess with us and we could have a safe place to sleep. So it was not a normal childhood by any stretch of the imagination. Um, In third grade in particular, I remember I went to three schools that year. I went to 23 elementary schools. 23. 23. And as you can imagine, every time you started a new school, you know, they're a different place in the curriculum. Mm-hmm. So you start to get gaps in your education. And yeah. I remember being in class, my stomach's growling, and there was actually some bullies in the hallway taunting me because I only owned three outfits that year, and I wore one of them the second time that week. And I'm trying so hard to pay attention to what's going on in this math class and trying to catch up with all this noise. And so I think growing up, I got really used to dealing with multiple things at once because I had yeah. no other choice, right? Yeah. Um, fast forward, my mom sent me to live with my grandmother in Ohio, which was my saving grace. She was my angel. And uh, she gave me um, love and security. Mm-hmm. And I was in school and I was able to get my education, uh, you know, straight away. I had straight A's, you know, I caught back up. Uh, and then she died. Uh, she took, uh, I should probably say, she was 74 years old when she took custody of me. Wow. Could you imagine? 74, years, 74 old. years old. I have a very, very deep and sincere appreciation mm-hmm. um, for the elderly and what she's taught me and, and what she's done. But but because she never gave up on me, right out of, this time I was homeless again, but I was working. My, right. my cheerleading coach 
rented me a small apartment. So I was working my way through high school. And uh, right after high school, I ended up getting a job at, this is the funny part, uh, as a part-time teller at a bank. So if you follow follow the story at all, I was a thief that sucked at math that ended up in banking. (laughs) And so I'm not sure how all that came together, but that's kind of how I got started in my career. Opportunity and access, I tell you. Wow. Wow. You know, I'm listening to you just reflect on your childhood and I'm thinking of so many themes, right, around structure. Um, We think about diversity, equity and inclusion and we think about access and resources, right? I'm seeing themes of mental health. Mm. I'm seeing themes of addiction. I'm seeing things, themes of um, housing. I mean, food insecurity. Yeah, trauma. I mean, it's it's just amazing how much we can take on, right? As human beings, all of these things we absorb um, at once. And I'm sure that this has obviously informed and, and led you to, to where you are now. And I think this is a great transition to our next question, which is around what is your DEI story? Um, when was it that you knew you wanted to work in DEI? Yeah, that's really a great question. And I'm going to be honest with you. It wasn't until after I was asked to. Hmm. So... When I was in banking, um, you know, I started working very closely with a lot of nonprofits in in the community, especially around youth homelessness. And there was an opportunity to work in community development banking. And that's where uh, I managed the foundation and I partnered with um, nonprofit organizations throughout Northeast Ohio and really focusing on the low to moderate income demographic. Mm -hmm. And I found myself really uniquely positioned because I was in rooms with brilliant people yeah, with the best of intentions that has zero connection to what life in poverty was really like. And so I had a voice that was representing, right? It was uniquely so representing so many. Yep. And unfortunately, a lot of these communities, it's black and brown communities that are dealing with a lot of these LMI issues. And um, so uh, at the time, I was working at PNC Bank, and they had asked me said, if I would be interested in leading some teams in their DEI work. And when I was making the decision to go, at first, I didn't really know what DEI was, right? This right. is well before George Floyd, before anyone knew what DEI was. Yeah, yeah. And once I learned, you know, what it was about and, you know, the importance behind it um, I, and the fact that I was still advocating, right, for disadvantaged communities, mm-hmm. uh, it seemed like it lined with my personal goals and values. So I took on the position. And uh, I loved the work and I did it for many years. And then uh, U.S. Bank was reaching out to me, and they wanted me to, you know, come lead a team of business banking development consultants. And all my mentors kept saying, Maggie, you need to get back in the revenue-generating field. You need to get back where the money's made. Yep. And that's where you're going to get to that executive leadership position. And so I thought that that's what I needed to do. So I ended up taking that position. And my first day on the job is when Ohio got shut down due to COVID. Oh, wow. I literally picked the worst time in U.S. history to get back oh, in business banking. <laughs> right. Wow. So um, and then just shortly after George Floyd happened and I found myself positioned, you know, everyone, we all struggled with it. It was so painful to mm-hmm. watch in so many different levels and to experience. And I had this immense sense of guilt that when the world needed DAI practitioners more than ever, I w- didn't have a seat at the table. So I started offering my services and volunteering and uh I was working with our U.S. bank team at the time, doing some consulting, and uh, they ended up making a spot for me. And I stepped in as their strategic strategy manager uh, to support the work they were doing because they needed folks with experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody needed help at that time. And so um, that's when I knew. And and just to prove it, I left over $50,000 on the table to take that role. 
I left a lot of money on the table. That's how much I wanted well, to get. Shows. I needed to get back into that work. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, I know you um, you kind of already touched on challenges a bit, right? When it comes to overall morale, right? Thinking about the the need and the demand for the work. Um, but I'm curious, working up to where you are today, what are some other or what were some of the challenges um, you faced as well? Yeah, so there really is. <laughs> there's a lot of challenges, I right? Know, we all I have know. challenges every day. Um, but I think one for me was, um, you know, growing up from a different social economic background, right? I didn't have the pedigree of corporate America and coming in and trying to learn how to navigate the new world. Um, it was really um, eye-opening when I first started um, my career. I remember one time I was a branch manager and I was I was killing it, right? Year over year, we were we were top performing branches, constantly, you know, getting the awards, um, top performer. And I noticed everybody around me was getting promoted, but I wasn't. And it took me. I had to sit down and really reflect and try to understand why. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I realized that I wasn't playing the role right. Right? I kind of came in with my slang grammar. I I had this bright purple suit. Now, mind you, this is like <laughs> 90s, 2000s. Really bright. And all time. my coworkers had the blue and the gray, the very conservative look. Mm-hmm. I had my hoop earrings. I was, I was a top performer and I was a hustler, but I wasn't fitting their box of executive presence. Oh, yeah. And so that was interpreted as I wasn't leadership material. And so I started dressing like them, talking like them, mm-hmm. you know, um, changing those things and, and code switching. And that's when I started getting promoted. And after that happened, I couldn't help but feel like a sellout. Yeah. Right. So I got to a certain point in my career when I looked around and I was mentoring, you know, uh, younger women and younger men that were coming into the business. And they were asking, how come there's no one like me up here? Right. And and I realized I just blended in and I was right. part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And so it was then that I learned and I had the confidence in myself to say, you know, what, I'm done. I'm going to be authentically me. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not going to fit anyone else's mold. And um, and I tell everyone that works for me on my team, I want you to be truly, genuinely, authentically you. That is not negotiable. Yeah, being used non-negotiable, and this whole—I think it's time that we redefine executive presence and what's expected of it in corporate America. I'm silently snapping here <laughs> and in the background because I completely agree, and I think this is where the value of—I mean, I'm thinking directly to your title, right? Employee experience comes in um, to recognize that being you, um, being authentic, authentic uh, is a part of employee experience, a space. And, you know, we always talk about safe spaces, right? But brave spaces to be you, because sometimes it requires a bit more bravery, um, than, than folks may assume, uh, you know, when it comes to talking the way you talk, right. Um, dressing in ways that, that align with you, right. And, and affirm you that's, that's brave. That requires bravery. It's, you know, um, being safe just isn't it anymore. Right. I mean, if I could fit in that suit today, I would wear it, <laughs> right? Uh, it does not fit, but, you know, um, you know, it, it is. It's it's embracing that culture, and it's being in a place where you are embraced. Yep. 
Yep. And just by be, you being a part of this this episode, I, I hope that our listeners are are, are gathering that right. You're, you're setting the tone already up front. Uh, and, you know, as we transition to our next question, it's it's related to this. Um, thus far in the past four weeks, you've been trailblazing work. You've been doing a lot of discovery, um, connecting with folks, uh, doing what you're doing today, right? Setting the tone for what it means to be you and showing up. And so as we think about the next few months or so, I'm, I'm curious when it comes to your plan, uh, at least maybe for your first 90 days, let's let's narrow it down that way. Yeah, absolutely. So right now it's all about listening, mm-hmm. right? Um, I am currently conducting listening tours, talking to people from all throughout the organization. I have a lot to learn. Yeah. Right. And I, you know, and what I have seen uh, so far in the short time that I have been here is that there is a lot of really passionate people that so really much. care, right? And so it's great. But so my goal is to really take the time, listen, ask the questions pull my team together, really look at the strategy because mm-hmm. I feel like that's what we're missing here, yeah. right? And we really need to use that to align and define our strategy and those goals. Um, we need to create an ERG structure that empowers our employees to see, feel, and believe that mm-hmm. they belong. Yep. You know, that empowers our employees to connect. Like when you when you talk to people at different organizations and they want to be in an ERG they want really three things. They want to connect, they want to learn, and they want to grow, Yep. right? And so we really need to focus on avenues and how do we create that, but but we needed to take it to the next step. Right now, we have an ERG, which is an employee resource group. I wanna turn that into an employee business resource group. Love that. How do we tie the business into this? How can we not only create spaces where we can connect, share, and grow, Mm -hmm. but we can also support our communities that we serve, that we can also bring resources to our folks that are the face of the company, right, in those areas to bring some business back and to continue to grow the organization as well. It can be a win-win. Absolutely. I think that's that's great. Wow. I um, got chills just now actually listening. Um, that's an amazing vision. And, and I think we're definitely headed in, in the right direction. Uh, so I know you you touched briefly on connecting with folks and noticing that we do have such a large community of passionate, uh, committed DEI leaders here at Paychex. Um, what can you say in general about what you've noticed when it comes to our employees? Well, there's no shortage of kind people here. I think everyone I've met has been so kind and has offered their help and their support. It really has been genuinely overwhelmingly yeah. a great feeling like, oh, okay, at least everyone's nice here, right? <laughs> um, you know, on top of that, I don't think I've ever seen an organization be so successful from a bottom-up tra- strategy, mm-hmm. right? So typically when you're talking about DEI and these different programs, you know, you have the governance, you have all these things in place. And in the absence of that, you had a community of employees that said, you know what? I ain't waiting. I'm yeah. making it happen. And that is impressive. Yep. That is envir- very impressive. Now, don't kill me, but the downside of that, though, is now we have about four ERGs, 30-something committees, 15-something interest groups, and they're all kind of doing their own thing, right? So we need to try to let, 
get our arms around that and create some structure and some governance, not in a way that it feels like a corporate takeover. Right. Right. But find right. out what are they doing that's working? How do we continue to empower that without deflating it, but provide some guidance so we can take it to the next level? Yeah. Right. We need to be at a place where we can say, if you are participating in the ERG, you have a 48% higher chance of getting promoted. If you attend three events, you have 22% chance of getting promoted. Right. We need to drive down to those indicators to not only show the organization the ROI, but the folks and why should they care and what's in it for them as well. Right. Um, and, and give them the tools and resources they need to help get those messaging across, right, to, to reach more people. Uh, there's so many different folks in different communities that are just looking for that space. Yep. But then some of these spaces are either dissolving or they're not remaining safe spaces. Yeah. And we need to provide training and we need to provide support and wrap all our love around it, right, so that they can do this and they can do it in the right way um, to really feel paychecks proud. I love that. And um, I know our listeners can't see it, but you should see the energy uh, radiating off of Maggie. Talking with my hands. Yeah. No, I love it. <laughs> I, I really love it um, because I know my next question is, what are you most excited about? And I can tell this is obviously something you're very excited about. Wasn't sure if there's anything else you'd love to share to our listeners today. Yeah, I think the most exciting thing about it is walking into an organization and saying, hey, we're ready. We're here. Yeah. You know, let's do this. And to be able to create something, right, from from air, very early stages and, you know, create and create something that can impact the lives of so many, mm-hmm. right? Not just the company, not just the employees that work here, but even the communities that we serve and our customers. I think this is a really exciting to get on the ground floor and work with everyone who says, how can I help? I'm ready. Let's do this. And really bring them together, right? And and start going in the right direction. So for me, that is the most exciting things, again, to work together and be on the forefront of creating those new spaces where everyone sees, feels, and believes that they belong. I love that. Um, the rallying is a huge mm-hmm. is a huge piece. We have so many allies, so many advocates. We can get this done. And so I, I appreciate all of your your comments, your insights, and your overall vision, right? I think we've got some great strategies or a great vision for strategies moving forward. Um, and and I can't wait to um, be a part of of all coming coming forward and coming next. Yeah, I'll have to come back after I finish these listening sessions and we have that strategy to yep. share it with the organization. I know everyone's dying to know. Yeah. <laughs> I believe I'm a part of one of those invites too. Yes. Yeah. So I'm I'm super excited and I'm so ready. The momentum is definitely there. All right. So Maggie, your team has been working. Working, working. Um, we have many events and things to celebrate and commemorate as we think about the upcoming month for September. And so, what I wanted to do was just um, mention some of the things upcoming for our listeners. Definitely make sure you sign up, participate, um, find ways to engage with your fellow community members. Uh, on the 5th, as you know, we're celebrating Labor Day. Some other things coming up later in the month include our Be Here Now event. Uh, on the 6th and 23rd of September, we are also hosting our VCOs, or our VCOs, our virtual culture orientation. And then just wanted to kind of um, put the plug out there that all month long up until October 15th. We're also celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. So please be sure to stay tuned to all of these events. And if you haven't already this year, use your culture day to celebrate and commemorate a holiday of value to you this month. I thank you all for listening and I'll talk to you soon, Paychecks. Thank you so much, Maggie. Thank you.
This podcast is property of Paychex Incorporated, 2022, all rights reserved.